Welcome back to the Before You Die podcast, where every week we watch a movie from the 1001 Movies to Watch Before You Die list and give you our opinion on whether or not it's worth your time. My name is James. As usual, I'm joined by Gavin and Craig. And this week we're discussing the 2007 espionage thriller, The Bourne Ultimatum. Jason Bourne, played by Matt Damon, continues his international quest to uncover his true identity from Russia to Europe to Northern Africa to the United States. He must stay one step ahead of those who will capture or kill him before he has the chance to discover the truth. Dun dun dun. Well read. I think I might have read that a bit too fast. <laughs> um, it's okay. I felt like I was speed wrapping it. What do you want? Yeah. Better get in here. We got a situation. I am. Um... I wanted to thank you for the tape. It's all tied off. It's over. I guess I owe you an apology. Is that official? No, off the record. You know how it is. Tracing this? 50 seconds to trace. Goodbye. Wait, wait. David Webb. That's your real name. Born 4-15-71 in Nixon, Missouri. Why don't you come in and we'll talk about it? Something was very wrong here. Born? Get some rest, man. You look tired. He's looking right at her. Okay, so let's talk about the cast. Any standout performances or anything jumps to mind in terms of discussing? It's Yeah, it's not the type of film I think that particularly needs a standout performance because it is an action film and whatever. And I think the performance is kind of, for Matt Damon, for example, becomes more physical for him. Not that it's slapstick or anything, but just the way he moves, the way he talks, the way he looks at people, you can kind of see a certain kind of highly trained aspect to him whatever it might be I thought that Matt Damon was like he's always awesome in it though like it, it's about him really isn't it it's like that's the, the the crux of it it's all about Matt Damon his character He he's owned it pretty well, much but what do you think Matt Damon is good at as an actor because people loved him in The Martian but that is completely different from say something like him playing Jason Bourne what, what do you think his strengths are as an actor I don't know if he can play super serious roles very well because he doesn't really have the face for it I don't think He's definitely a physical actor. I think he can handle some some types of drama quite well. If you look at the Bourne movies, a lot of it's about peril, and especially in the second one, which is not what we're talking about now, but in terms of context, he when he loses uh, his his girlfriend, there's a lot of like emotion there as well. It's funny because when you think of Matt Damon, a lot of the time when people really praise performance, it's because he's so charming or so funny and. He doesn't have to do any of this in the film. And I know it's been a criticism of this where they say there's no warmth, there's no real big character moments, no humour to the Jason Bourne character. Do you think that hurts the film? Or what do you think as a criticism pretty much? I, of I, don't, the I don't think it hurts it. I think he is meant to, he's basically being his character. He's meant to be this kind mm. of slightly emotionally disconnected weapon, really. Um, yeah, trying true. to, and his brain is just malfunctioned to the point where the programming had, had been put into him as a character was breaking it was, it was mm. rewiring itself but in terms of like his acting skills he he can i think he can do good roles like emotional roles and things that challenge him on that front but they have to be the right role like if you look at good Will hunting he was fantastic in that but after that he kind of there was nothing that really challenged him much i don't think on that on that level yeah because um, his career actually wasn't <clears throat> in a great spot when identity came i know obviously since identity that kind of relaunched him but it is strange that in a way like this is him playing against type because like you said in even Saving Private Ryan he's probably the most emotional of the characters in it when he has those conversations with Tom Hanks he's talking about his growing up and kind of his laughing and joking and then you see him in Go to a Hunting but in this he really does downplay pretty much all of his strengths which is why I think because I find it's a strange it's a strange criticism to have of the film because he is like you said he's a machine he's, a, he's almost a drone and he just mal- malfunctions and I think it's I think it's a bit much for a reviewer or a critic or a viewer to watch it and think he needs to be a bit more funny he needs to lighten yeah. up a bit considering his past so I just find I do find that's a strange criticism I just thought I was wondering where you kind of stand on do you think 
if Matt Damon did bring any kind of that natural charm or that charisma or the kind of comedy he can sometimes bring to roles, do you think that would have made the character better or the film better at all for you? No, I, I don't think so. Um, if he had brought some of that kind of natural charm that he has, like that you see actually in The Martian because he's playing most of the movie on his own, it would have just broke the immersion for his character, I think, in Bourne. Like he wouldn't be Jason Bourne if he was cracking jokes and fucking kind of making lightheartedness of a situation I don't know if that's a word but um, it's all very serious and he's got a he's got a goal he's got something he wants to do he's out to get revenge I suppose or at least find out who did find answers yeah find answers and it wouldn't make sense as a character if he was like really lighthearted and um, just joking just joking yeah, yeah. quippy yeah. yeah even quips yeah, exactly I think that's what makes it work so well with him in this, though. I think, like, I, I think if he was to play a, a very emotionally charged, vulnerable person who had explosions of emotion in different ways, um, it would be difficult to kind of rationalize who he is and what his character had done. Whereas this, it's kind of he's he's a product of his training and his um, his programming or whatever. But he, yeah, he does occasionally show a little bit, but. I think that it just works. It works for him. And I also found with The Martian, actually, just riffing off that, I, I found... I didn't think he was all that in The Martian. Oh. I didn't think he was his performance was actually that strong. It, maybe it was me, because I just... I love space drama. I love anything to do with space, whether yeah. it's based in reality or fantasy. But he was very much... See, this is becoming a discussion about Matt Damon now, but for, for that he was he was a bit too light-hearted about the situation he was in I think and I don't know if that was arguably because his character was dealing with stress in that way or if it was just a way of making that film be more accessible to a broader yeah. audience I think that's a, <clears throat> a good discussion probably for later on in the podcast maybe or like for another podcast because that is like actual uh, I watched an interview with uh, Chris oh, Jesus Chris Hansen not Chris Hansen um, give us a name we'll try for oh my god the astronaut Oh, Chris Hadfield. Um, Chris Hadfield. Why don't you have a seat? That's Chris yeah. Hansen. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he, he was saying like how well played Matt Damon, like uh, Matt Damon played that character because of how astronauts are trained. And oh, that okay. they kind of plan for like the smallest things that could go wrong. So they're quite Plus, calm so in situations. He's working up the source material because I don't know if you read the book. He he kind of does take the humour in the situation. Yeah. But that's I find that's a weird criticism to have of this film because like I said, I always, before I record this podcast I tend to look at the negative reviews just to see why people wouldn't put it on the list or why people would be against people even kind of discussing it as a thousand one films to see before you die and the criticisms I saw like one of the main ones was, was that um, Matt Damon doesn't bring any humour and his character is kind of a blank slate but I don't know I just find it a really unfair criticism I, I get what people mean but I think it's just because they're used to Matt Damon being a certain way which yeah. is kind of playful, kind of charming character. And I, I think, do think the moments when he does kind of explode a little bit anyway, I don't think he ever goes, let's, he never goes nuclear with it with this, but like when he does have those bursts of emotion, I think it means more because he's so so flat throughout and then he when he does explode, it means a lot more to the viewer, I think, anyway. It, I, you know, I, don't, I don't think the quips and the kind of the, the Bruce Willis style kind of um, wisecracking... Yeah. There was replicated a lot in action films after Die Hard. I don't think that that would necessarily be in place in, in a film like The Bourne. Mm. No. Do you think any characters around Bourne should have been... Do you think there was place for humour in this film, but they just didn't particularly... Or in any of the films, really? I, sp- I suppose if you did, you'd have to have like a sidekick or something. And yeah, then yeah. would that, I mean, would that then, even ring true yeah. in this? Yeah. Yeah, no, I think it, 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 it would destroy it. It's weird for a film to not... For a film like this to have pretty much no humour but be as fun as it is I don't know how it's it's enjoyable to watch definitely yeah like it's not it's got a good pace into it but like the like you're saying with the other characters there's um one of the things that I only noticed last night when I watched it was um uh, this is just from my own perspective but the guy who plays Noah Fosen isn't it yeah the, F, the David Strathairn yeah yeah he um like they could have made his character very kind of evil or like you know stereotypical CIA top guy like you know wants to track down Bourne and he, he does everything in his power to, to get him and they could have like had like a more sinister nature to him but they didn't it was all very like it was explained really well why he's in the position that he's in because like it carries on from the other movies and he's mm. now the director of this 
specific program, the Blackbird. Blackbird. And he's literally just doing his job to track down Jason Bourne and he's not he's not evil in, as such. He just happens to be the director of this specific program and it, it, that just kind of stood out to me that he wasn't a, a, a typical nefarious, nefarious, yeah, yeah. nefarious type of character. Like I do think though he kind of lets himself down in a way because he kind of becomes that right at the end when mm. he has no reason at this point he knows he's going to be arrested so he he's like well I'm going to go to chase chase Jason Bourne down I'm going to shoot right before but that was kind of after he was threatened almost by them yeah but now at this point he above him. yeah at this point he'd known like he'd known uh, Pamela Landy had sent away the documents so yeah. he knew he's going to be in serious trouble and I do think as a character moment it didn't quite ring true because like you said he was almost like a civil servant yeah. it didn't seem like he'd be the type that would be I didn't, put it this way I didn't see Pamela Landy Joan Allen David Strathairn or um, Chris Cooper ever shooting a gun in these because that's the point was you had someone like Jason Bourne pretty much being used as a pawn while these kind of just stood back and watched all happen you know so I don't know if um, if that quite worked for me yeah so there, like I do think in general like the actors performed fairly I couldn't really pick a fault with how they they do it maybe they could have brought humour to it, but then again, would that take away from the story? Would it take away from the setting? Probably. What about Julia Stiles? Because I know people are very divisive about her. I don't know whether it's 10 Things I Hate About You or Save the Last Dance that's kind of ruined her career, but people seem to... Like, I, I don't really... Unless I'm missing something, I don't see why she needed to be in this one. I think the connective tissue... And then there was a revelation about her character and her connection with her Jason Bourne. Yeah. That went completely over my head, by the way. When I first saw it, I, I was drawing parallels between... Because there's a lot of things in this... Or, sorry, there's a lot of elements of this film, a lot of scenes in this film, which seem to either copy what's happened in the past or make like a, a nod towards something that's happened in the yeah. past film. So the whole kind of segment where Julia Stiles was cutting her hair and getting it dyed, and there was that scene where he's like looking at her in the mirror of the bathroom, she's looking back at him. That was very reminiscent of the first film. Yeah, him and Marie. Yeah. Um, so it, part of me was kind of rationalising it that that was the reason why she was in the film in those kind of sequences because it was just trying to tie it off and bring it back full circle, which is what largely a lot of trilogies, third parts in trilogies do. Mm. Maybe not as much as they used to. I think that's blending now that mm. films tend to go on for a fourth or a fifth if they're franchises. But well, this has. This, one this has, yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, if the fifth one is in, or I guess in terms of the Bourne saga it's the fourth one but if you count legacy it's the yeah. fifth so just pretending that never happened yeah but so I, I, I actually, was confused with that part. I like Julius Stiles I, and as well I think I know what you're saying about maybe it was kind of it felt a little bit tacked on but then like I don't know I do think it's probably a retrofit that they've done it but then it kind of makes sense to me that she seems a little bit more apprehensive in Born Identity it seems and then in Supremacy she will actively kind of not help him but again you can kind of see there's some reason there that she is saying oh maybe I were wrong about Jason Bourne and I think that's because of the past they have which she only alludes to you don't get any flashbacks but I think again her character then over the course of the trilogy makes a little bit more sense because of that revelation and I think her as a connective tissue then makes a little bit more sense for me because she would want to stay involved because of her history and that's the scene with so that part I'm think I'm guessing that's the part where they're in the roadside cafe yeah. and it's night time and it's a bit I think it's snowy outside and she says it was hard for me with you specifically and she so pretty much know. says do you not remember anything and he so, says no nope. yeah and that was another parallel with the first film that scene because mm -hmm. there's that whole scene in the first one where Frank Patente and he's saying oh like I'm look I'm sitting in this room and I'm thinking about the two exits over there and that guy over there looks like he can handle himself and I'm pretty sure that guy yeah. has a gun and I can read all the um, license plate numbers in my mind right now kind of thing so another parallel that's what kind of threw me I, I didn't ever pick up on the whole you past, know, past relationship. relationship I just thought that that was like history repeating itself for him and mm. triggering things mm. well, I suppose that's what makes it interesting it is that in a way like it's repeating itself for Nikki but also for Jason Bourne instead of actually repeating itself with his past relationship with Nikki it's repeating itself with Marie which makes it all the more tragic for Nikki who's constantly trying to reach out to him constantly trying to help him constantly trying to make him remember but the only person he can really remember the only good memories he has now are of Marie whereas probably originally the good memories he would have had would have been him and Nikki and then 
that's why I think she's constantly trying to say, "Oh, bring it back, bring it back," and she's constantly trying to reach out to him, which I really, I really think it works well, and I love um, Joan Allen as well in a similarly because I think she doesn't have the past with Jason Bourne, but I think she sees something or she understands something isn't quite right, and instead of kind of shoot, shoot first, ask questions later, she's trying to get to the bottom of it, which I really enjoy as well. So. She felt quite maternal. Yeah, exactly. As a character. Like, because she right. even kind of, in this, she when um, uh, Vosen says, let's kill Nikki and Jason Bourne, she gets very protective then. And it just, I don't know, it really works for the character because she kind of, I think she's she seems so genuine or something, or there's something about her that you instantly kind of gravitate towards, you like her. And I think she plays it particularly well. Yeah, she's quite strong with fairness. And you, you kind of really root for her when you realise that the only reason she's in this whole kind it's of situation, wanna, if it goes they wrong, need a fall guy. yeah, yeah, for sure. I quite, I liked her as a character, and she was very, she was a lot about fairness. Like she was always shouting, uh, what "Was it Vosen down?" If he was making, it. especially when there was a scene where he was saying, "Oh, I want to issue a kill order on these two, and then on Jason Bourne, then kill Nikki as well." That was like a massive pivotal point for her character. Like that's when she she turned around and started shouting at him. And you always knew where she's. You, you always knew where she stood. Um, the scene where she sits, she's in the, kind of the breakfast restaurant. She's sitting opposite um, Vosen, and like he's trying to be all kind of smarmy with her, and she's like, "I'm not taking any of this shit. Like, um, yeah. I'll see you in the office." And off she goes. Enjoy your egg whites. And off she goes. Yeah. Like, it, she's she she means business. Yeah. Uh, she probably wasn't the best person to bring in to hang as a scapegoat because yeah. uh, she's she's not someone who's just gonna kind of fold. Yeah, it kind of probably doesn't ring true that so in the organization who would probably have known Pamela Andy at this point would underestimate her to that level where they think, well, look, she can be the fall guy. You kind of feel like someone would have been a little bit more incompetent. Although in saying that, I think watching this, how incompetent they are this organization like they seem to be able to find anyone in the world except for Jason Bourne. Like they never seem to be able to get a grasp on him. Pretty much throughout, so like whenever a bus goes in the way, he's gone. Trains in the way, gone. Yeah. Crowbar hanging onto a bridge. <laughs> Not gonna gone. get him, you know? But well, yeah, there's another. This the chase scene <clears throat> where it's like um, they're supposed to have locked down like a 12 block radius or something, and then he gets chased down by like one car. Well, after he eludes a couple of cars, he gets chased down by like the asset in the, the big kind of SUV. And then they both crash their car. Bourne gets out like points the gun to his head doesn't shoot him but then he just walks off with like a backpack yeah and I was like where is the perimeter that was supposedly set up but I think you have to just suspend but do, like do you think because they, they, do, they did a massive push to, to ground it in, in reality as much as possible so mm. like we were saying earlier like before the podcast started it's quite far-fetched the, the concept is quite far-fetched yeah. but they do such a good job of drilling it into like Reality. reality that you, you don't second guess it and I think that's that's enabled it to get a little bit more far-fetched mm. by the third film I think that's a testament to it. Paul Greengrass I think the direction is what allows it to go as far-fetched like story-wise they can go far-fetched because setting and action the way it's framed it, it is so reality based it's it's almost almost like a docudrama the way he shoots because like, originally that's what Paul Greengrass was a documentary filmmaker so he brings that to it, especially the scenes I find, any scene pretty much where it should be boring, but it's not in an office or, well, you know, when they're in the, they're having these standoffs and Pamela and Andy and Vosen are going head to head and you have all of the um, workers pretty much just watching, looking by and with the screens in the background, it just seems a lot more natural or the way he shoots the car, car chases because it happens in the car, it seems very... No, uh, visceral, visceral. visceral. Uh, Very, uh, yeah. I find the action that takes place in the car chases because it's right in there in the front seat with Jason Bourne. It's very visceral, very real, and I think he adds to that. And that because all all of these aspects are so real or so appear to be so real, you can buy into them the kind of the far fetched nature of maybe the storyline. It's so quick as well though. That that chase scene, and it that chase scene again. Like I'm seeing the parallels thing parallels so closely with the Carl Urban chase scene in yeah. the second movie and it ends almost the same way um, with the car flipping up on the side yeah. and um, just carnage but there's a bit just before Matt Damon's character realises that like he realises he's not going to win this car chase so he kind of grabs the seatbelt around his arm and then the glass kind of sprays on his face 
um, and he's kind of it's just really kind of dynamic and quick and then it cuts straight to kind of the the aftermath of what's, what's about to happen with the cars impacting that could be like a really drawn out dramatic thing but it's just jump 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 and I think that lends a lot of weight to the whole aspect of it being as realistic and visceral as possible yeah there's not a lot of like you would see in action movies or movies that have a lot of like car chases or explosions or whatever there's usually multiple cuts jump cuts of the same fucking thing happening to just extend like the scene by about five, five seconds or whatever whereas in that you don't really get it it's just it, everything just continues to happen but it's just a different shot of mm. it moving forward but I was gonna say like you're talking about like how quick everything is like this movie is like the perfect movie for anybody with fucking ADD because you're just like <laughs> there's no time throughout the whole film where you have this there's there's no downtime it's constantly moving forward everything's so uh, so fast paced the the camera the camera work like you kind of touched on it because everything's always moving mm. the, the camera kind of never really stays still even if it's just a shot that's focused on one person they tend to use like the handicap so it's it, there's always some sort of movement in the camera and it, there's a lot of panning shots there's a lot of those like scenic if they're setting like establishing you know, shots yeah, yeah establishing shots going to a new country or whatever like a real kind of open panoramic view of wherever they're going and then it, it kind of closes in on, on the scene but that's, it just doesn't stop it's, it's quite like it seems like he's he has very clear intentions like Paul, Paul Greengrass, Greengrass has very clear intentions on, on why like it, you can even split them into three sections like those three main camera work um, approaches like the shaky cam is action and if there's like an investigation so like in the ops room it was always shaky cam because it was like oh we need to call this people we need to work out what this number means and it's like everything's moving around mm. and then you have the static shot which which is perfect example is when Pamela Landy is about to have breakfast that never happens with, with Vosen uh, that's static kind of and I always find this quite interesting and especially with the uh, with the, the, the panoramic shots of and that's that's to establish the inter- international sorry the international flavour flavour to give you the idea of this jet setting global across the world kind of thing it's, it's similar to it's, it's kind of like a new representation of um, you know in the Indiana Jones movies where it was like yeah. you'd see the the map, the yeah. map. Yeah. it was it's kind of like that but a little bit more modernised mm. I guess and I like in this again it comes down to direction I think the choice to not make these locations these sexy fancy locations like you get in a James Bond film when he's in these places like he's going down back streets back alleys and he's jumping on these bikes that aren't super bikes they're not Suzuki's or anything like that they're like a little scrambler and he's chasing the guy who's on a moped or when he jumps into a car in Moscow he's not jumping into a sports car he's mm. jumping into a taxi or like, whatever is there exactly and things. I think that works so well and I like again that comes down to how Paul Greengrass wants it he, there's an authenticity that I think he never wants to veer too far from because he, again he knows how crazy the storyline may seem like imagine if this was directed by someone like Michael Bay it would be <laughs> oh, so man. hard to take a lot of it seriously but whereas because just because of the setting and because of the way it's shot and the way it's framed I can you can buy into a lot of it but again, I suppose with that, there has been the criticism of what Paul Greengrass done, the whole shaky cam thing, and how since kind of supremacy onwards, there was um, a movement towards the shaky cam, quick cuts in um, fight scenes. I think Taken is probably one of the worst examples of it. Where do you fall on the legacy that might have had? It's, it's tough because I can't remember the first time I saw Born Ultimatum. I can't remember how I felt about the fight scenes because with the Bourne films, I think pretty much every single one that came out, I, apart from Legacy, which I actually still haven't seen, the Jeremy Renner film, but I, I, I pretty much watched them again almost straight after. So it, it, that first showing became a, an amalgamation of four or five showings. Yeah. But I, now I watch it, I'm like I'm quite desensitized to the speed of the combat and I can kind of take it in because I, I know what what happens. I know that what? so the really cool collision scene in the, in the kind of the back corridors of Waterloo Station where where Jason Bourne is kind of kicking all kinds of ass, like knocking guns out of people's hands. Yeah, like he meets someone head on and the stairs, they're coming up the stairs and he kicks their knees yeah, out from yeah. underneath them. It's so badass. Amazing. You kind of see that and you, you can you can dissect it better because you've seen it before and you have that frame reference but I think if anyone watches these films for the first time and and they don't watch it again after that I think definitely it's understandable that people might say or that especially Ultimatum jarring, is yeah. super fast the fight with Desh yeah. in the apartment that was 
brutal as hell, which is fantastic to watch. Um, but that was just so quick. But I think it's quick, but I don't find the action hard to follow. Like, I could see the blows that were weakening Dash. I could see the blows that were weakening Bourne. I could see the decisive moment with Bourne where he got the book and put it against his neck. You know, like, that's... I, I don't know. I, I felt like I could clearly see what was going on in the fights. And I find the whole shaky cam thing is an easy criticism to throw at it because it's been done badly since. But I don't think it was Maybe, done badly yeah. in this film. That's an interesting point. So you mean if future films beyond this kind of misunderstood what it was meant to achieve yeah. and took it too far well see I think a lot of um, films use it as a, as a means of not having to have the actor actually doing doing this stunt for example so for exa- like, let's be honest we know Liam Neeson in Taken as a 61 year old or 62 year old man isn't really going to be able to do the hand to hand combat that someone like Matt Damon in his late 30s or early 30s what he, like he was in the original Born Liam was Neeson able to do he's a badass Gavin how dare you he is like Liam Neeson is a badass but I just can't <laughs> imagine he's learning Krav Maga yeah. on his days off um, so I think when you see something like that it's easy then to just do quick cuts a lot of close up on the hands very quickly and use a shaky cam again to kind of disorientate the viewer in the wrong way where they say well at least then they won't know so it's not Liam Neeson because Michael Mann for example which I actually I think Michael Mann must be some kind of influence on Paul Greengrass because watching this reminded me of something like Heat where again he shows these actors who he trains he said I'm going to send you to Navy SEALs training I want to see you on camera doing it so he shows you those actors doing it and it's the same here you see Matt Damon do a lot of this mm-hmm. like I said it might, he might use shaky cam but again I just think that just adds to the chaotic nature of a fight and I think his fights the fight scenes are short because it's chaotic they are short in real life these I are trained professionals they're yeah. not going to be long fights I definitely think they're meant to be they're doing what they're meant to be like there's mm. no it's not like a, you can see I love I love the way combat is is crafted in film um, if it's done properly it's fantastic to watch um, but you can always tell the difference between a fight which is fully choreographed and dressed and one which is built around just whatever you can find like um, and that's that seems to be like a key part of the Bourne films those the fight scenes where it's like there's no grace to it it's I need to survive. It's me or this person or these people. Mm. Um, I need to disarm or kill or just get the hell out. And that's basically Jason Bourne. I mean, there was a whole fight scene in, in the Supreme in in the Bourne Supremacy with where the with the magazine, which was pure improv. And then he uses it again. The magazine, same magazine, puts it into a toaster and yeah. uses that as a way of yeah, yeah. causing explosions. But that is an actual like martial art technique as well. That that magazine, the roll up thing um, it's from. A, do, you guys have ever heard of a someone called Sammo Hung? Yeah. He was around when like Jackie Chan was in his prime. Like, yeah. That that guy uses that fight fight stuff. That's right. Yeah. It's it, this is slightly off topic for the movie, but um, there was a, a recent uh, AMA with Matt Damon on Reddit and just talking about fight scenes and the amount of training that they do. Someone asked them, you know, what does do you kind of remember anything from the training that you've done over the years in different movies, like specifically the Bourne films? Uh, or at, like do you continue to do any of the stuff that you've done since then like he said one of the things that he continues to do is boxing from from learning it like I think from the first born film or from no the, the what was that movie he was in where he was a it wasn't in a boxer I don't think was it, it, there was something anyway I can't, I can't remember the exact movie he said it was from but he said he took a boxing from it anyway but he said um, a lot of the things that you remember are just really really specific things that are might never come up in the real world uh, so he said like uh, if, if I was to you know drive my car off a pier and happen to be stuck underwater um, he was like I could probably escape from the car and get out but he was like that's probably never going to happen to me <laughs> but like just in the in the off chance that this happens uh, sometime in my life I could easily escape from a car niche a survival skills situation because mm-hmm. he was like I had to do it over and over and over and over again so many times he was like it's just it's there he's like but I don't continually train in this stuff like he's like it's it's good to know but but it, it does show just how thorough if if Matt Damon obviously but obviously Paul Greenhurst wanted the preparation to be for the role mm. and I think that's why the fight scenes you can see Matt Damon doing it and that's why it, I, I don't know it kind of annoys me people dismiss Born Ultimatum or, just, or Supremacy or Paul Greengrass himself as some proponent of shaky cam for all the wrong reasons mm. I think like you said, he doesn't use shaky cam when it's a scene between two characters speaking. 
or you know like he doesn't necessarily have to do it he knows when to be still he knows when to bring that chaotic nature the reason there's shaky cam or there's a handheld cam in the scenes where they're looking for Jason Mourning is because it's chaotic but then like you said when there's someone's two people are sitting down to have dinner that's not a chaotic situation so he puts the handy cam away and he brings up the steady cam that could even be where that com- where the comedy could come into it, actually if he actually did just shake the camera around it's like just, that would be, yeah yeah it's exciting dinner ever yeah um, but i think you're right like that if it's done right it can be really effective because uh, the some of the chase scenes like the one where he's uh, being chased over the rooftops by the uh, Tur- Turkish police or where, where is he like Morocco or mid- oh Tangiers Tangiers yeah, yeah. Um, so he's getting chased across the rooftops but he's trying to find like where um, Marie uh, Marie is no not Marie um, Nikki 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 oh yeah she's being chased down by the see the similarities yeah, yeah. The, other, <laughs> the other asset uh, what's his name Desh Desh um, but like that whole thing like maybe took him you know a few minutes but it feels like it's a lot longer and it's more intense because there's so many different cuts like so many moving parts yeah um and it just i don't know there's something about it like it's it is really well done but you can see in other movies that they try to achieve that and they just the, the shot takes like half a second too long or there's just not enough cuts to or there's too many cuts or there's too yeah. many cuts of the same thing yeah, yeah. whereas this uh, is kind of in between it's almost yeah. like um, what happened after the Matrix where everyone was kind of doing the slow-mo yeah. and the bullet yeah. time yeah. and you just knew I've seen this done better before plenty of times mm. but the Matrix maybe was the peak of it and people said oh that's amazing and then American films suddenly started doing it same yeah. with John Woo John Woo John, yeah, good with example, double yeah. pistols and a slow-mo gunplay that yeah. was another so thing, pretty so. much you're talking John Woo for the kind of mid to late 90s and then for the early 2000s the mid 2000s you had The Matrix and then for the late 2000s you, we suddenly had this influx of this green grass style because even look at Casino Royale which clearly took its cues from yeah. Jason Moore in fact I think the, the stunt coordinator for Casino Royale was a stunt coordinator for supremacy and ultimatum which Makes shows sense. you just how like how much of an impact that has and like i said done well it looks great because in casino royale i i really like casino royale and i think one of the reasons i like it so much is because the action is so well framed but again it's been framed by the per- person that pretty much helped i remember watching the trailer for um casino royale um before it came out before it was released the cinemas and that actually did a very specific job of showing of highlighting that this element of action was in in that film, and I remember the, I was I was really psyched to go and see it because I was on such a buzz from the Bourne movies that had been released, but up, up until then, um, but I get I get what you're saying. I think it kind of tapped into a a, a popular a level of popularity in a certain type of action film. People wanted um, something which could blend something which was drilled into into a bit of reality, but also something that was fun and exciting and visceral to watch um, which I think the Bourne films collectively have in spades mm-hmm. so yeah actually sorry nice. uh, but uh, another thing I noticed in that earlier on in the film was um, that I, I don't remember picking up on in other sort of like espionage films at the time um, or even before that was like the mention of how far reaching like the NSA is at the time yeah um, which now nowadays we know <laughs> like how fucking intrusive they are but like a lot of stuff that's happening there in that movie it's like they're actually doing that right now mm. um, and again that's a testament to Paul Greengrass because he was like a, a documentator like in the 80s and uh, he wrote that book on MI6 was a, he has two books well, the first one it was actually banned in the UK because it gave far too much insight like real insight into how MI6 works because he was just re- he's really good at like researching and like digging methodical, into things yeah, really methodical and um, like obviously his experience as a documentator I think he spent like 10 years doing it or something like that travelling the world mm. um, you, you can you can see it like in all of his movies he's just so good at the, the small details do you, do when you so when you watch a so let's say when you watch a film like The Bourne Ultimatum which makes clear comments about government organization structure NSA essentially um, do, you, do you pick up on that do you actively pick up on that when you watch it do you think like, so if someone was watching it for the first time would they pick up on those threads of oh this is actually happening right now or do you think they'd be more kind of um, distracted almost by 
the fight scene with Desh or that car chase scene with the uh, the final asset or I think it depends on the person watching it like I remember at the time because I was always like fucking just paranoid in general I think about like the, conspiracy the, Craig yeah conspiracy Craig <laughs> um, I, I like I remember I did pick up on it I, I didn't remember that they mentioned the NSA because it's been so long since I watched it and only now like do I really know what they are and stuff but um, back then I remember thinking like holy shit the government could probably actually do this like I mean are people doing this mm. does this stuff happen really um, but not knowing it because you didn't really have access to that kind of stuff on the internet at the time other than people who were just conspiracy theorists who were like this is happening but you couldn't prove it and it wasn't until like Edward Snowden kind of dumped fucking everything out there that people actually started to believe now that this is what goes on so I think yeah it would, it would probably depend on the person that was watching it at the time like whether or not they give a shit about that and they're just interested in the action um, and they just they don't pick up on those little things because the NSA the NSA is only mentioned once because um, it, it's something like MI6 here from the like uh, the UK and then they say you know can we transfer it to the NSA and I think that's the only mention they mm -hmm. make of it but I just instantly I was like ah NSA yeah <laughs> I find that stuff really interesting um, but that that also taps into they're, they're based at the Bourne movies a book series by Tom Clancy right mm -hmm. or is it Robert, Robert Ludlum, Ludlum actually yeah, yeah. Robert Ludlum uh, which are also those kind of very similar, those kind of procedural spy novels, mm. which have like, again, the same thing in terms of grounding it in reality and making it a believable piece of fiction almost. But I, I think it's, doesn't Robert Ludlum have some kind of connection to the government, which is why his books seem so, so authentic. Isn't there some kind of connection there? It sounds familiar, but I would have to yeah, check that out. Yeah, I'd have to check that out. I think but, so, yeah. But yeah, so cultural impact. So Craig, you think it's it's uh, it has an impact based on some of the kind of comments um, on how the NSA is structured? Yeah, I think so. Uh, a Government lot of structure. Is, yeah, it's it's believable. You know, like maybe someone like Jason Bourne is is less believable, but I don't doubt that there's government programs like that where you, you'd have people being trained like as because we know there's like special agents we know there's like sleeper agents and black ops and all that kind of stuff like we just don't know how they're trained or like the kind to of the stuff level that, yeah that, to yeah. the level that they're trained exactly I'm sure it'll come out in 20-30 years or whatever but like one thing to, just talking about that one thing which never really made sense to me was not really made sense but wasn't really made that clear about how Jason Bourne became Jason Bourne like we, we see at the end he has to shoot a shoot a guy with a bag over his head and then the um, the program leader who is played by Albert Finney uh, Dr. Albert Hirsch um, he you get that flashback scene where he says you're no longer this person you're, Webb, yeah. you're no longer David Webb you are now Jason Bourne um, you don't really see any anything else around that program you don't see like any kind of behavioural reconditioning or training mm. you just see that one moment so it'd be, it'd be interesting they didn't really explain how the memory yeah. was lost. You see hints of it, but I think yeah. um, I'm assuming that the new film will explore a little, like yeah. a little bit more, because they do have him getting um, with the bag over his head being drowned or yeah. whatever, and yeah. being taken out. So I'm assuming it has something to do with that. But again, I think that's you're again we're kind of seeing this through the eyes of Jason Bourne, so the answers don't all come at once. They come to him, yeah. and then they come to you through. Yeah, him. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think that's what we only do get those flashes. But it, I think it is interesting because in it, they they show it's actually Jason Bourne as David Webb coming to volunteer because he's obviously been told, oh, if by signing up for this, you'll save so much more, so many more lives than you would have as if you had saved as a captain, I think he was. So I think it's interesting that he signed up for I think that's all that really matters. They don't. I don't think Greengrass was particularly interested in the whole clandestine organization to that extent I think was more interested in the discovery that Jason Bourne will make mm -hmm. that he was the one who signed up for this but again I think it's interesting that what people would actually be signing up for because something like they always say when some kind of natural or some sorry, natural sorry some kind of disaster or or terrorist propagated disaster happens the army sees an increase in people actively um, trying to serve trying to, to sign up to sign up yeah, yeah. Um, so it's interesting that someone like that could say could understand, have kind of go in understanding to an extent about what they have to do, but then 
when it actually comes to the reality of it, sometimes it's a lot harder to take, which is clearly what happened with Jason. Based on the program owners, the people that own that kind of, um, I guess you could say, um, I don't think it would be a project or what, but based on those people and how they act and their, their moral flexibility and sometimes bankruptcy, mm-hmm. um, you can you can definitely, definitely see that he wouldn't have realised what he was signing up for and they would have manipulated him yeah. Yeah. as much as possible. Um, but you see things like sleep deprivation and like almost torture and you don't know what else he went through, like whatever it was like, yeah. hypnotherapy or fucking... Um, what do you call that? Um, uh, like behavior modification. I can't think of the name of it. But because uh, there's a point where they say you haven't slept for. That's the part just before he shoots the yeah the final the pivotal yeah. moment where mm. he gives himself over. Yeah, they like just break them. Yeah, but I'm sure. Like they could have expanded on it, but I don't think he needed to. Like you're saying, yeah. no, it doesn't serve the story. Definitely interested to see like what. I'm definitely interested to see what um, happens in the new film, like where it takes his character. Any is there any standout action scenes for you in particular then before, um, or a favorite? An ultimatum. I think my favorite is actually the Waterloo station, and I've seen it. I've seen it a couple times before, and I would have said, "Oh, it's the death scene where he's chased him through Tangiers and then jumps through the window." But I love the Waterloo scene to see. Jason Bourne pretty much as if he one of us was to be taken and we need we need his protection and he pretty much says okay you want to see how to escape the people trying to catch it and he has to talk to him on the phone I think that's really really well shot really well filmed yeah. and I love how how they frame that um, and I kind of love the panic that Paddy Considine feels as Simon Ross he just starts kind of panicking 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 and Jason Bourne is calming down calming down really really short with him in a way yeah. it's like tired eyes get up stand here walk here that's a good line and the only time then he starts freaking out himself because he sees um, uh, the genitals uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. and he thinks oh he's reaching for a gun and he runs away and then he kind of calms but again it comes down to Jason Bourne having to improvise and he does improvise and then gets him away again and has him in safety or relative safety sorry relative safety and then he panics again and once he, he dies because of it but I love the idea of Jason Bourne being so good that he can almost make a secret agent out with someone else because he's he's just that good. What about yourselves? Any standout action scenes for you? Um, I'm gonna be the the boring one here because no, I like it didn't nothing stood out for me as a like amazing action scene because I think I'm just so desensitized to movie action scenes in general. But um, there was one that like I I laughed out loud um when he's during the Tangiers chase uh, where he's trying to get away from the police and he, he gets on the motorbike or the the, the dirt bike kind of scrambler and he's he's kind of cornered by the police car and he kind of makes a quick decision and sees like a broken path um, and he uses the path to leap about six foot into oh, the air yeah. on the bike <laughs> on the scrambler to get onto this ledge and drive up this alleyway look up, up some stairs I'm like fuck off like that's like no fucking way um, but like it didn't ruin anything for I me I think that's the, the suspension of disbelief part isn't exactly, it it's like yeah. I, I think I, by that time in the trilogy I hadn't I stopped questioning it yeah but um, it, for Ultimatum for me it would be it would definitely be the dash fight and not not because it's like the main fight scene hand to hand fight scene it's because uh, just the, the way it was choreographed just this kind of tight quarters uh, how like Desh actually was superior to him in that fight, and he even had him um, dead to rights. He was until like, on Nikki, top of him until Nikki kind of quick distraction. But um, apparently, uh, the reason why that's the case is because Desh has very similar combat style, so it's kind of a mix of a couple of different arts, and that's why it takes so long for Bourne to finish him because Desh is evenly, evenly matched almost. Yeah. And also much younger. Too. Yeah, and what it takes again for Jason Bourne to get out of the situation is imp- improvisation, where he grabs the book. That's what ultimately yeah, kind yeah. of saves. Him. And there's even one bit where he's like, he's actually knocked on his ass for the, oh. the second time. He's throwing like, he throws like an aerosol can at a dash and yeah. like a toothbrush, and, and then he uses a towel. The towel, yeah, yeah. 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 He ends up just fucking strangling him, like yeah, just choking him out. Like, Maybe we're wrong. Kid. That's what he'll do when he finishes up all this spy game. He'll go into improv theater. Improv theater. Yeah. He'll definitely win. Whose lines it anyway with Jason Bourne? <laughs> yeah. He'll join Team America. My my favorite uh, fight scene in the whole trilogy, though, 
the my Damon trilogy is um, the fight scene with the magazine. Oh yeah, that was brilliant. Yeah, really um, for for action, and then my my favorite for character development was in the first film, where he um, he takes down Clive Owen. And Clive Owen's like in a field, all kind of shot yeah. up, and he says, "Look at what they make you do. Look what they make you give." And that was like such a brilliant cha- like twist on the climactic scene in the fight scene mm, because which they bookended then in Ultimatum, in Ultimatum which yeah. is really yeah. well done so and uh, did you notice how all of the Bardesh actually who probably had the standout fight scene a lot of the assets became pretty big names in their own right because Carl Urban yeah. Edgar Ramirez and Clive Owen all played assets at one point and I just find it I found it strange that they all kind of have carved out pretty decent careers for themselves yeah. in their own yeah. right which is yeah. pretty cool Um. So I suppose the question then will come: Are you putting it on your list? I, I'm gonna be like I think I've said no in like for a bunch of bunch of films now. Um, amazingly enough, I actually didn't understand why this this one of the trilogy was on the list um, because it re not rehashes but it it re- retreads a lot of the ground that supremacy did and. I would have assumed when I when I realized there was a Bourne movie on this list, I actually thought the second one would be on Supremacy, um, which is which is kind of strange. But I don't think I would put this one on the list. If it was Bourne Supremacy, I would. Craig. Yeah, like right up in the up until this point, I still hadn't decided um, because I watched the first one the other night um, I didn't get a chance to watch the second one but then I obviously watched uh, Ultimatum then as well um, but I enjoyed Ultimatum that was a good film good action movie like start to finish it's just some great camera work choreography all that kind of stuff but um, the first movie I could find myself watching again and again and again and again more than Ultimatum like I couldn't go back tonight and watch Ultimatum and enjoy it I'd be like nah I saw it last night but I could watch the first movie again and still enjoy it um, so kind of the same as James I know you would prefer to have the second one on the list but I don't understand why this one was put on the list over first. the first movie and but then looking at like critical reception and what people have said and what people still continue to say like the third movie is the highest rated on average out of the three um, not by a huge margin like only by a couple of points if you go on a 10 point scale like or and but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I can't. You can't see it. You can't see a reason for this one particular film yeah. to go over the other two, let alone any one of them yeah. to go on the list. I think as a trilogy, it would deserve to be on there. But the fact that there's only one, it's a good point. I don't, it, it, and, and, and it surprised me because yeah. there is trilogies on this list. Like yeah. Toy Story trilogy, for example, is on this list. Yeah, like because I don't, I don't think you could just. It, it, this is a thousand one movies to watch before you die, and I don't, I don't think you could just watch the Born Ultimatum as a single movie. And you have to have context. Yeah, there's so much more before. Well, that where that's where it comes down to me, and <laughs> you like supremacy the best, you like identity the best, and I like Ultimatum the best, <laughs> and I do think it should go on the list. And my reasoning is, I get, I take your points about maybe it could be taken out of context. But I think this is framed so well and written so well and calls back in a pretty clever way mm. the previous two, whether it's through flashbacks or whether it's through kind of an homage almost. It kind of it gives you a sense of who the character is. I think someone could watch this film. Now, maybe I'm wrong because I'd love to hear someone who'd only seen this one yeah, and exactly. what they thought. Yeah. So it's hard for me to comment really. But I think as a piece of film, as a singular film, it does an excellent job of setting the setting the story and setting the tone setting everything set pieces everything it just I just think it's almost perfectly set out of what this story is what this character is in whatever it is an hour and 55 minutes they kind of put that out there and the fact that it probably is helped that if happens simultaneously with supremacy so you still can call back to it and you can still kind of understand now I do think what it does kind of leave by the wayside is Born Identity but again I think Born Identity almost works as a standalone film as it is Agreed, yeah. so I think because of that because it's almost because of the strength of the Born Identity as a standalone film that Ultimatum because it can it can reel in both 
callbacks to the identity, but also then really in supremacy because it's happening simultaneously. I think it works then as its own singular film. I think I think Ultimatum is probably one of the best action films of the last fifteen years for me. It is a great no no it's an awesome film like it's I mean I think the Bourne films in general are my favorite action films of all time kind of contemporary action films of all time. I just find it very difficult just riffing off what you said in terms of the um, the way they kind of the, the the chronology of supremacy and ultimatum kind of overlap in parts at least very mm. much very much so initially I think um, for me I find that difficult to split them apart as two separate films I feel like they're two parts yeah. of one you know how yeah. I don't know you see, you've seen it you saw it with Harry Potter uh, they split like one or I think it was the last book they split into two films because yeah. there was so much to cover it feels like that's similar with this like it's they're so con- woven together it's like this is part one of, of one big story kind of thing or part two of one big story and that's 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 what that's what challenged me there to kind of say yes or no with ultimatum because it feels like it's not being done enough justice almost yeah that's what that's kind of how i feel about it like i, I agree with what you're saying as well gab like i know it's as a standalone film like it does do a lot and, and it is a great action film um but i just i don't know there's something inside me that won't allow me to have that one movie part on its own, yeah. yeah, one part like and a, the final of, part, of a great yeah. trilogy, like a, the final part of a good trilogy. Like I would happily watch them all, like three of them again, like in the near future. But I'd rather watch them all together. And I think maybe because I didn't watch the second one this week as well. Oh yeah, it, so there was no link. For there's it. No, exactly, there's no link, and it's been a while since I saw them. So you're probably actually the the best example of someone who, not obviously you've seen the trilogy before, yeah. but you're probably the best example because you hadn't seen Supremacy in a long time, so you actually have only seen ultimatum and identity in the last yeah. few years which means and exactly and I did have questions throughout the film like I, I think there's some stuff I missed that I don't know I missed because uh, you because didn't I see supremacy recently one, yeah in ages um, which is probably what would sway my opinion towards saying no like as a singular film I don't think it should be on the list but I would love if the trilogy was on if if those three movies were on that list I'd agree with it as a trilogy definitely um, but unfortunately they're not so another loser for me. I pick no. another loser. Yeah. See, it's it's tricky because the yeah. films are great. Yeah, that's. I don't like, think it's a loss. I think like. No, I know. I know. My my, yeah. my advice to anybody like if you're listening, check to this, out the is trilogy. To check out the trilogy. Don't just watch one movie. Like watch the, the three of them. Try and watch them close together as well. Yeah. Like like one one a day because it's such a great story mm. of like self discovery and general badassery. Yeah. Yeah, I'm only questioning why one movie was on the list. I'm not discounting it as a movie at all. I yeah. just think as a trilogy, it's way better. Which brings in a listener feedback. I think you have the email, Craig, if you want to. Oh, um, yeah, so we got one from um, uh, Jay this week. He came in through the website. Um, so he says, uh, hey, lads, uh, loving the show. I've embarked on my own. A thousand one movies quest since listening, um, and I'm currently on number 28 now, but he doesn't list in what order or whatever. So let us know, Jay, uh, so we know which movies you've watched. But uh, I was surprised, he said, by the exclusion of the Firstborn movie, which I think is uh, the superior entry of the series. Where do you guys stand on that? I think we just kind of talked about that as yeah. well a bit. Which is, so where do you stand on it in terms of if you were to rank them, I suppose? I suppose that's what Jay probably wants us to do. Mm, maybe. So it's a tough one because I love the first one and I can it it's very self-contained um but I would say how the series has evolved and how it's if you go all the way to the end where the ultimatum can be considered could be considered as the trilogy at its peak of refined action scenes um I probably would actually start with supremacy as my number one uh because I, that's my I love supremacy because it's that kind of it's him starting on the path of repair and learning about what he's done. And it's also about his first ever kill. The first person he actually killed, which turns out to be just this kind of... has a completely selfish reason as to why he's murdered this person. Um, and there's just some fantastic scenes in that where he goes and sees the daughter um, and he's just sitting in her apartment and he kind of gives her this kind of redemptive conversation to try and make things right. I just love that film so much. So supremacy would be number one for me. Um, identity would be number two, um, because uh, I know right because uh, Franco Patente is just f- phenomenal in it, um, and it just it's just a little slice of of action movie history. Like it started this whole thing, um, 
an ultimatum and be my third. Oh, that's surprising. Craig, what are you? You can uh, include Legacy if you've seen it as well. I haven't actually seen it. I avoided it because I'm not really a Jeremy Renner fan, to be honest. Um, I'm sure he's a lovely guy in real life. I just don't really like him as an actor. Um, <clears throat> I See, I'm... I don't know whether my brain just can't um, comprehend things out of order. <laughs> or if I've got an issue. But Are you going one, two, three? I, I would go one, two, three. Yeah, I, I have to look at them in a linear way because I, I, I know they're chronological and yes fair enough two and three are kind of a little bit parallel at points but um, I, I don't I've already said my, what I thought about the third one but I um, if I if I was to watch them I'm going to watch them one two three um, and I enjoy them all I remember enjoying the second movie and I have the box set somewhere which I can't find um, so I did I did throw down money on this after I went to see the movies um, and I just I just like the three movies together. I, I can't really, I wouldn't rank one above the other. I think they work well as as a as a story and as a but as a, as a linear story for me. Um, it would, whereas like let's take you, something like Indiana Jones for instance. Yeah. Like that was a great trilogy. Let's forget about that other movie. Um, <laughs> but I would rank the third movie above the first movie and the second movie for me. Like I love Raiders of the Lost Ark. Jesus, Last, Last Crusade. That was my favorite one, um, but I still love the other two movies. But Last Crusade, I would put top of that. But for some reason, we're born because of the way the timeline is, and because of how short the timeline is as well. I suppose like it's it's only really set over a few months. Three it? Like, years. I think is it three years, years from start okay. to finish? Um, but it's it's a fairly condensed timeline. The um, longer period would be between would, would yeah. be between one and two. Then and yeah, yeah, between six weeks, I think. Yeah, yeah that's like, he goes missing and yeah at the end of the first one. But um, well, he goes off the grid but yeah I can't I can't rank them above each other I, it would just be one two three for me so you're not answering Jay's question no I'm sorry Jay screw you Jay yeah. uh, my <laughs> my answer is legacy fourth one fourth crap um, Born Identity number three I think it's a good standalone film I think the action is good I like um, Doug Lyman's direction but I don't think it's anything particularly special um, Supremacy's second because I think um, it gives the series its aesthetic. I think it gives you an, like, more character development from Bourne. And I think in terms of performances and setting, and everything just looks better. And then the ultimatum is number one for me. Because I think in terms of the aesthetic, it reaches its peak. In terms of its action, it reaches its peak. In terms of its story, it naturally reaches its peak. Because it's the third part. It's the finale. If it finishes up. So I think for all of those reasons that's where it comes down for me so thanks for the question Jay now you know yeah. where we stand on the Born Identity yeah. we're completely mixed up like yeah, there's, we're no, no, there's no similarity that's a sign of a great series though because yeah. Raiders for me is one um, Last Crusade is two and uh, Temple of Doom is three so it's a sign of a great series when you can mix and match and on, to be fair on some days I'd say next week you could ask me this and I could say Supremacy is number one now I don't think I'll ever put Identity as number one but again it's just because the aesthetics of supremacy and ultimatum trump the aesthetics of identity for me so how can anyone else get in contact then if they have any other complaints about our reviews of Bourne <laughs> or want to talk about what next well, week's at episode. least James wasn't a complaint but uh, I could see some some people probably being angry about this one um, so if you do want to get in touch with us um, and tell us whatever the hell you think about what we said about these movies or this movie uh, you can contact us at beforeyoudiepodcast.com um, on Twitter at, at beforeyoudiepod uh, on Facebook if you just look for Before You Die Podcast and on iTunes as well if you can subscribe there but you can also use any other feed reader or app that you use for listening to podcasts just search for Before You Die Podcast and we're there big red logo and if you want to get ahead of the schedule like Jay did and ask about next week's show what is so next week we're going to be looking at the 1989 Tim Burton Batman. Craig was kind of humming it before I tried it. Yeah. It's just beautiful. I'm trying to create some ambience. Um, I think there's a quite a bit we can talk about with that one because I can't wait to talk about Batman. You know, I, I actually haven't seen it since the um, Christopher Nolan trilogy, yeah. trilogy. So I'm I'm really interested to see when I go back to that. We were actually talking about this yeah. when we go back to this. Uh, is it going to hold up? Because I, the Nolan trilogy was fantastic. So. I'm scared. 
I don't yeah, know if I, I want to destroy my childhood or my teenage years because I loved it when I was a teenager. Yeah. I'll be won't be here next week, but I will listen as a listener and possibly send either dick pics or really e- bad emails I, criticizing the show, or maybe both. Both, please. Yeah, yeah. We we welcome any and all feedback. Thanks, or, Gav. Or dick pics, if you want to say dick pics. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Those I don't know if I. That's don't know an if invitation I'm quite ready open for to that me level only. Of commitment. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but hey, maybe before you go away, let us know whether you think that film should be um, on the list or not. Like so we can. Share I'll it put it in audience. an envelope, and you can open it at the end of the show. Like the Oscars. That would yes. be cool, actually. Yeah, do like an Oscars thing. Yeah, yeah. do that. Um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to watching Batman. Yeah. I think I might watch it drunk. Why, yeah, then you might find it extra awesome. Yeah, yeah. I watch it sober just so we have both perspectives. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, thanks everyone for listening. Let's wave at the mic. Bye. Bye.